We have been looking at the gospel and how it changes our pictures, how it changes the paradigm, how it gives us a new lens. And uh, as we saw, it shows us our bankruptcy, um, teaches us how to stay. Uh, it changes our categories, changes how we regard people, and maybe shows us we have to unlearn a lot so that we can learn to see people the way God sees people. It occurred to me afterwards, this wasn't intentional, <clears throat> that um, perhaps understanding our bankruptcy would help us to change our categories as well, that, that if we really felt the desperateness of our condition, um, the other categories just wouldn't matter so much to us. Well, tonight I'd like to consider um, another perspective change, and that is about our union with Christ. Now, all of our messages, I think, have been a bit on the cerebral side. Definitely, you're a very bright crowd, because you guys are all like totally engaged and geeking out on all this Bible and theology here. Um, but this is probably like another level of like theological mumbo-jumbo, union with Christ stuff. And I, I just want to make a side comment. Um, our lead pastor at Pacific Crossroads Church just published a book called Union with Christ. I took the jacket off so it wouldn't get messed up while I uh, brought it around so you don't see the jacket. But it, it, all, uh, July 1st was its release date. It's just literally just a few days uh, off uh, on the market. Um, and uh, so it's something that Rankin and because of Rankin, we as a church have been talking about for a while. And uh, I'd like to invite you into that conversation. Uh, to think about our union with Christ. Just a few quotes. Um, John Owens, great English theologian, right, right, wrote, Union with Christ is the cause of all other graces that we are made partakers of. They are all communicated unto us by virtue of our union with Christ. Basically, all the good things we get, it's because of our union with Christ. Or John Murray, uh, Reformed theologian, wrote, Nothing is more central or basic than union and communion with Christ. Union with Christ is really the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. Or Anthony Hukama, another Reformed theologian, wrote, Once you have your eyes open to this concept of union with Christ, you will find it almost everywhere in the New Testament. In Christ, in Christ, in Him. I mean, it's just everywhere. Um... And Rankin in his book points out, if this is so central and foundational and important, then why don't we talk about it? <laughs> and why why is it not central to us? So, want to consider consider this. Now, um, I'll have to confess, when Rankin would go on and on about these Union with Christ messages, I found myself thinking, yes, oh yes, this is very important. This is foundational. This is so theologically true. But, what do I do with this? Like, what am I, how do I apply, how does this make a difference? How does understanding this make a difference? And for those of us who may have had heard some things about union with Christ before, I likened it to saying, did you know that this building has a foundation? Did you know that? In case you didn't, it does. And this building would not stand without its foundation. It, it holds together because of the fact this foundation is critical to the existence of this building. And you'd all go, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, I agree. 
And then you might say, but why do we need to know that? Like, can't we just enjoy the building? Haven't we been enjoying the building without thinking about the foundation? I mean, do we need to know about the rebar and the, you know, inches of cement? Like, why do we... Why do we need to know that as important and critical to the building as it may be? What difference does it make in talking about that foundation? Does it make a difference? That's kind of how it felt to me. Like, yes, this is all true, but I don't... Uh-huh, and so, okay, foundation, yeah. What does this give me that I didn't already have before? I already know that God loves me. I already know that I have a a Holy Spirit. I already know that I have a relationship with Jesus. So, well, these are big questions. And I'm not going to answer them. You can go buy a book if you'd like. There are lots of books and lots of smarter people who have talked about this a lot more than I have and thought about it a lot more than I have. And I am comforted to know that Apostle Paul calls union with Christ in Ephesians 5 a mystery. Yes, let's just call it a mystery. Um... And it is, and yet uh, it doesn't mean we can't think about it, talk about it to our great benefit. How do Christians grow and change? We would say it's not by what we do or don't do. It is by repentance and faith. These are the patterns of the gospel. Repentance and faith. The righteous will live by faith. So maybe I can narrow the question to how does union with Christ Deepen and broaden our faith. How does union with Christ deepen and broaden our faith? And kind of in keeping with our theme for this weekend, I'd like to suggest that union with Christ gives us a new lens, a new paradigm, a new perspective. It helps us to see things differently. And by seeing things differently, we it, it, it changes What we see, what we believe, and the questions we ask and the answers we find. All right, so let's dive in. There are different ways to describe our salvation story. One category is not sufficient. We can talk about how we were guilty and condemned, but now we are forgiven, right? We can talk about how we were alienated and separated, but now we are reconciled. We can talk about how we were enemies of God, but now we are friends. We are even his children. We are adopted into his family. Now, these are all good biblical metaphors. We love them and celebrate them. But union with Christ gives us yet another picture of our salvation, that we were apart from Christ, but now we are united to I want to think of John 15, vine in the branches. We were once disconnected, shriveling, non-fruit-bearing branches to be thrown into the fire. But now we are connected in a living, organic, vital, like, or, like it's all, we're, we're, we're grafted into the plant so that now we are part of the tree. And this connection, it's not like, a hose to a faucet. It's not like links on a chain. It's like hands to an arm, feet to your legs. It's like branches to a tree. There is a living, vital, organic connection that now 
we become part of the whole, and the whole now defines the part. The other metaphors that we've alluded to, guilt, forgiveness, alienation, reconciliation, are describe conditions about us. But union with Christ implies that something has changed in us. We were not part of the tree, now we are part of the tree. There's something that has changed metaphysically in us. We are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And run with me here. Might sound a little silly, but it's like I have little boys. It's like we were once mere mortals, but now we are superheroes with superpowers. I'd like you to consider the difference between Batman and Spider-Man. Batman is a rich guy, strong, you know, dangerous, and he has a lot of really cool gadgets, lots of fun toys that can, you know, that he can use. Spider-Man has a few toys, not as many, but his superhero-ness has much more to do with his spider powers and spider senses that he gained by being bitten by the radioactive spider, right? It's not that we now have so much all these new gadgets. It's now that we something has changed in us. We are like Spider-Man. <laughs> now, to be clear, in ourselves, we are still mortal. But in Christ, may I suggest, we have supernatural spidey powers. <laughs> see, my first, or four thoughts I want to highlight. First is, union with Christ helps us to see our new nature. Something has changed. We who were once Dead branches are now living branches, living branches on the vine. If you believe that, question, if you believe that in Christ you were a spiritual superhero, a spiritual superman, would that change how you live? If you didn't see yourself as a mortal, but as a Superhero, Would that change how you live? And if so, what would change? What would change? I want to think about that a little bit tonight. Second thing, union with Christ helps us see our new nature. And it also, number two, helps broaden our self-identity. We're going to shift to the marriage metaphor for a moment. Marriage, to become one. And I've used this at marriages and weddings now. Where marriage is, is no longer a he and a she, a me and a you, since there are a lot of married folk here. We'll, we'll run with this quite a bit. Um, it's no longer about what you want versus what I want. No, the two become one means there's now a third person. Not you, not me, but us. Us. This new oneness. This new person that's not me and not you, but both of us united to become one. So that we start thinking, well, what do we want to do? And what will our future be? And how will we solve our problem? 
You see, it's a usness perspective, self-regard, paradigm, and reality. In Ephesians 5, Paul uses this language of, no one ever hated his own body. Of course, he's going to wash it and feed it. He's going to take care of his own body. Saying to husbands, of course, you, you got you to take care of your wife. You know, because that's your body. Because yourself, husbands, is no longer just yourself. There is now an us. And in that sense, marriage is not about sacrifice. And it's not about being noble. It is more about redefining who you are. Who are you? You are no longer just you. You are an us. And so, take care of yourself. You're not noble for washing your hair. Of course, you'll feed yourself and bathe yourself. Being a good spouse has less to do with nobility and more to do with this expanded self-identity. Now, in our fallen world, um, this marriage oneness often doesn't quite reach its its ideal. Um, and it, there, are, there are a lot of very troubled marriages at Crossroads, and maybe there are some here, and maybe we've been affected by broken marriages in our own families. But, but even so, consider with me, we know what it would look like, right? What this one is, imagine that there's like, maybe we have, I don't know. Uh, someone's been married for dec- 30 years, and they, they know each other's thoughts, they complete each other's sentences, they, they feel each other's joys, they feel each other's pains, you know, his success is our success, her pain is our pain, they're always turning to each other, they're always including each other, like that's just the way they think, well... Should we do this this weekend? I mean, they, they, it's always that's just the way they see themselves and see their lives, right? And it would be foreign to their minds to have a dream that didn't have your spouse with it. I mean, it would never even cross their mind. And if one spouse were to pass, the surviving spouse would feel as if part of herself had died. Like, she is not the same person anymore. Right? There is this intimacy. There is this oneness. That what was objectively declared on the wedding day, the two has become one, has slowly, over a long journey, become a subjective reality. Uh, you haven't met my wife, but Jeanette and I have been married. 16 years, not quite, you know, as long as some of us, but 16 years, and over the 16 years, we counted, we've had five homes, four children, three surgeries, two churches, one marriage. Uh, <laughs> I've learned to understand that, you know, after being home with all kids, all the kids, all day long, when she is, like, in that red zone, red line, you know, like, I know what she needs, you know, I get it. I get it. I don't come home to a happy wife, but I understand. I understand. And if I'm stressed out from ministry and I'm discouraged about things, she understands. You know, we don't have to explain this to each other. We understand. She has helped me understand the world of emotions much more. I have opened her mind a little more to the world of 
Bible and theology. Uh, she has helped me appreciate food. Uh, she has painfully taught me how to drive a little safer. Uh, I've helped her to be a little bit more practical and pragmatic and punctual. Um, we are a little more one than we were 16 years ago. Now, Paul says this is a profound mystery in Ephesians 5, not referring to this oneness in marriage, but this oneness we have in Christ, because consider what this is suggesting. It's as if Jesus is saying, it's not me and you. It's us. Us. I see us as an us. Like one flesh. Two have become one. I mean, that's... I mean, I almost feel like it's... There are some things in the Bible where I feel like if it weren't in the Bible, I would feel almost like it's blasphemous. That I would say, that Jesus says of me, you know, I'm not even doing anyone a favor. Of course I'm going to wash my body and feed myself. I mean, it's not being noble. It's just, you're part of me. Like, we're one. And that's how Jesus wants us to see it as well. It's no longer these things are true of him. But to say these things are true of us. These things are true of me. By virtue of my union with Christ. You see, it's not just that we have superhero powers. It's that we are united to a person so much that we are one. I think it is interesting, just I thought that there is this beautiful picture of marriage as an illustration of our union with Christ. As if to say to us, union with Christ is not for the theologians to parse out and research and do all their scholarly mumbo-jumbo thing. Union with Christ is to be experienced. And so let me give you a living metaphor. Marriage. Not to turn you into a theologian, but so that you can experience what oneness means. What it looks like. And in this way, I think there is something transcendent about this description of our union with Christ that is beyond our understanding. And so God has given us marriage to comprehend what is quite honestly incomprehensible. (laughs) A, A mystery that is slightly demystified. For those of us who are married, maybe one of the best things you can do for your spiritual life is to invest in your marriage. To become one with your spouse. That you can begin to get a glimpse of how God regards you and his relationship with you. And conversely, maybe the, one of the best ways to improve your marriage is to enjoy your intimacy with Christ. Because these are meant 
to illustrate the other. They are meant, there is, a, there is an intentional correspondence here. That by growing in one, you better understand the other. For those of us who are single and would like to be married, or perhaps had once been married, the oneness that you desire is a good thing. In fact, Christ says, that is what I want with you. I want that kind of intimacy with you. And marriage is just an illustration, just a, just a shadow of the reality that it points to. Marriage is not ultimate. Our union with Christ is what's ultimate. And marriage is but a shadow. Now, just a quick little footnote to this. I should point out the limitations of this metaphor because in one sense our union in, with God is less than our union in marriage because with marriage we are united to a fellow human being but to be united with God there are some things that are true of God that are just not true of us I am not the second person of the Trinity I am not the Lamb of the world I am not the Prince of Peace there is a, there is an, uh, a gap <laughs> an insurmountable gap between the creator and the created so that though we talk about this union it, you know being united with a human being it's easier to like uh, what does this mean to be I am not the savior of the world every knee will not bow before me but in another sense our oneness with God is more than our oneness in because, as we just said, our union with Christ is the reality to which marriage is but a shadow. No matter how intimate you might, we, anyone on this, any marriage might find in this earth, it is still less than the oneness we will enjoy in glory. Union with Christ broadens our self-identity. Number three, Union with Christ gives us a way to think about our subjective Christian experience. I want to make a distinction between the objective reality and the subjective reality. Objectively, we are united to Christ. It doesn't matter if you understand that, or feel that, or theologically have... Re it's true if you're a Christian. But the subjective reality of our union with Christ is different. It, how much we're experiencing our union with Christ is a separate issue from the objective reality of our union with Christ. It's like saying, you're legally married, that's true. But how much intimacy do you have in your marriage is a separate reality from the objective truth of your legal union. You are legally one, but our subjective experience of that changes. And so when Christ says, remain in me, abide in me, he's not saying that because we are objectively detached. No, we are objectively united, but subjectively we are failing to experience our union with Christ. And so, union with Christ, I think, gives us a way to talk about 
our subjective Christian experience. The picture we have in John 15 is that we must stay united to Christ. The branch must remain in the vine because apart from me, you can do nothing. We will only bear fruit as we are united to Christ. So the picture, the, the way Christ describes the situation is either we are living in our own powerlessness apart from Christ, or we are living in the power we have in Christ. That's the question. Are you living apart from Christ in your own powerlessness? Or are you living in Christ, in his power, and bearing his fruit? That's the way we frame. The question is not, did you go to church? Did you read your Bible? The question is not, are you trying to live a good Christian life? Are you trying to be a moral person? That's not the question. The question is, are you living in your shriveled self-power? Or are you bearing fruit in God's power? That's the way we frame, evaluate. That's the lens through which we see our subjective Christian experience. Another way to talk about our subjective Christian experience is not just about power, because as we pointed out in our the marriage in a marriage metaphor, it's also about a person. It's about intimacy. It's about communion. Am I abiding in Christ or am I am I living on my own? And the picture is that we can, by His Spirit, Enjoy life with God. That I can sense God's desires, God's guidance, God's presence, God's comfort, God's love. That God is nourishing me. God is near me, embracing me. That I can feel His presence. That we are communing together. That our subjective Christian experience points to a divine, supernatural existence. Versus just good church people trying a little harder to do a little more. Number four, last one. Union with Christ puts the focus on Jesus. Maybe that sounds kind of obvious, but I actually think a lot of Christians don't look at Jesus very much. We look at our church involvement. We look at uh, personal spiritual disciplines. We go, oh, I like that song. I like that preacher. I like that author. We go, oh, I'm struggling with this sin. I have these doubts. I have these fears. And we can do all that without ever looking at Jesus. It's like all the stuff around him <laughs> without actually ever looking at him. But union with Christ is a lens, a perspective, a paradigm that puts the focus on Jesus. Let me explain what I mean. The Jesus who overcame Satan as he was tempted in the desert is in me. That Jesus is in me. 
The Jesus who had compassion on the multitude, who welcomed the children and healed the the uh, the crippled and and welcomed the tax collector. That Jesus is in me. The Jesus who washed his disciples' feet is in me. The Jesus who suffered and died is in me. You see, the point of this union with Christ is to say, look at who is in you. Look at what you have. Look what resides. Look what, look, that's, that's what you have. It points you to look at the one inside of you. Had a phone conversation with someone who uh, had called the church office and said, I want to talk with the pastor. And she was sharing. So we scheduled this phone appointment. And, uh, she was saying, I'm just angry at people. I'm angry. I'm angry and angry. And we talked about it. And she goes, you know, I, it comes going, I'm just angry with myself. I'm just angry. And in the midst of the conversation, I felt, you know, Jesus is the one who heals the brokenhearted and sets the prisoners free. Jesus is for, for you. <laughs> he cares for people like you. Jesus cares for you. And I felt this like, I never met her. It's just a phone call. I don't even know what she's like. We're talking about feeling like this boldness and this love that Jesus cares for you. That, that that's what's in me. The spirit of Jesus is in me. To care for those whom he cares for. I think it's wonderful. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul's prayer is not that the Ephesians would gain power. His prayer is that they would believe they have the power they already have. Paul's prayer is for not empowerment, but for enlightenment. That they could see what they have. That's what union with Christ is saying. This is what you have. And the prayer is, help me to see who is already in me. In Romans 6.11, Paul says, So you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's another part of our union with Christ. We won't unpack that so much now. Except to say, notice the command is not die to yourself. You know, live a new life. The, Paul's command here is consider yourself this way. It's a new lens. See yourself this way. Regard yourself this way. You are a new creation. You are the temple of the Spirit. You are Superman. You can fly. When Christ died, your sin nature died. When Christ rose, you have new life. This is who you are. You just have to learn to see yourself this way. So, what do you do with all that? Right? It's all wonderful. Yes. All those preachers and verses and yeah, you know. But what do we do? So here's here's an 
here's one way we can flesh it out. Around this time, when I was preparing this message, I was talking with these parents. Sounds like it might be relevant to some of you. I don't know. <laughs> parents who feel this incredible pressure to give their kids every conceivable lesson, sport activity, uh, tutoring, t-ball, basketball, gymnastics, piano, everything they can. Um, and it seems like these days, like that's what it means to be a good parent. You give your kid everything. Uh, and I've heard the phrase, trophy children. And I feel like that's so true. Like, see what a good parent I have? Here's my trophy. Look at my kids. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. See? I'm an awesome parent. My trophies. Trophy children. And for some of us who feel less adequate, uh, some of us who aren't able to give our children all these things, we don't have our trophies. And we feel a little less adequate. Now, some of us, I understand, aren't parents, and maybe some of our parents, actually, this is not your struggle, and that's fine. Wonderful. Hallelujah. But maybe for some of us, it's more professional success. We want an impressive resume, a golden resume, listing all the wonderful things we've done, the schools and the degrees and the awards and the accomplishments we've done. And when uh, we see someone else's resume and it looks a little like less, we're like, feeling kind of good about ourselves, and when we see another resume that's a little better, then we're feeling a little down about ourselves. Now, I'm not looking at any parent. T-ball, soccer, you know, professional accomplishments, if you're published, if you're awarded, if you're whatever, whatever. These are not bad things. These are good things. These are not wrong things. But sometimes, for some people, we can care a little too much about these things. Like we get consumed and we find or we seek to find too much significance from golden resumes and trophy children. It reveals this is what we worship. This is what we hold on to for our significance, for our validation. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, like I said before, I think the gospel answers a pattern of repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. We repent of our idols and we look to Jesus. Let's pray. Now, so then what does that mean? Right? How what does it mean to look to Jesus? Um, and here's how I think we can flesh it out. Look at Jesus. What do we see in Jesus? I see a Jesus who did not have the credentials that others had in his day. He wasn't like a Pharisee. He didn't study under a famous rabbi, so-and-so. He didn't come from a respected family. He didn't have wealth. He didn't really have much of a resume. Um, in fact, Jesus says, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, son of man. I'm a homeless guy, is basically what he says. I don't even have an address. You know, I, foxes and birds are, like, actually better off than I am. Um... And when Jesus was fasting in the desert, right, Satan offered him status and power and riches. And Jesus rejected all. He didn't have any of that stuff. Nor did Jesus have trophy children. 
His disciples were less than impressive. <laughs> and he did not then try to say, well, we got to get this ship into shape. Come on. We're going to go to school. We're going to get some training. We're going to get you certified. We're going to, you know, work on your resume. We're going to... No. No. He had a motley crew of uneducated fishermen and despised tax collectors. No trophy children. No golden resume. What do we see in Jesus. Jesus had a passion to please his Father, to bring glory to his Father. It's all he talked about, that's all he did, except when he was talking about how he had compassion on the multitudes, how he cared for them. You look at Jesus and you realize where some of us fail, Jesus perfectly and gloriously, triumphantly succeeded. He was perfect. He didn't give in to any of that temptation, any of that vanity. He just loved the Father and loved people, didn't care about his reputation or accolades or resumes or trophy children, none of that. He just loved God and people. And we are to believe that his perfect righteousness is credited to us. That though we fail, Christ succeeded, and when God the Father looks at us, He says, wow, man, you're not vain at all. <laughs> you, know, you didn't worry about what people thought at all. You just love me, and you just love my people. To use theological terms, this is trusting Jesus for our justification. That we are accepted and have standing before God because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. And that is good. That is wonderful. But I would like to suggest our union with Christ points to something more. That Christ is not just our justification. He is also our sanctification. Meaning, he does not just give us right standing before God. He also then gives us the power to live a righteous life. We are not just united to his legal righteousness. We are united to his actual righteousness. Meaning that this Jesus who didn't care about his resume is in me. This Jesus who didn't try to build trophy children is in me. That this Jesus... I have that spirit in me. And if that's true, then I think it convinces me I don't have to run that rat race. I don't have to run the rat race. I don't have to live or measure myself by those standards. I don't have to be the product of my culture. I can say no to this nonsense and not feel like I'm a bad parent and not feel like I'm a fool. I can say no. Because Jesus is in me, I and his spirit is in me, I can actually live for the glory of God, to serve and honor him, and to love his people. Some of you might think, no, hold on. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. You know, that's different. Of course Jesus could do that. But what we're saying is, no, 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 no. It's not just him and you. This is now us. 
This is you. This is who you are. This is who is in you. This is what is true of you because of your union with Christ. And so, first, Second Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him. You see, union with Christ is our encouragement. It's saying, you are a new creation. You are Superman. <laughs> fly! <laughs> you can fly! You can fly. See, union with Christ strengthens, deepens, and broadens your faith. That you might attempt to live the righteous life you would otherwise assume is impossible for you. You wouldn't even try to live like that. Except now your faith has been emboldened. Walter Marshall, a 17th century Puritan preacher, wrote about our union with Christ, growing in holiness, and this, that was his point. People who were called by God to work miracles were given the power to do them. No one with any sense would even attempt to do a miracle unless he knew he had the power to do it. Therefore, God wants you to know that you have the power from him to live a holy life. He wants to encourage you to walk in his holiness. He's saying, when your faith is emboldened, you can attempt the miracle of a holy life. You would never jump off a cliff and think you could fly unless you believed. You had something to give you some hope that if you jump, it can happen. It can happen. You can be holy. You don't have to run the rat race. You can fly. And union with Christ is to embolden your faith, to attempt the miracle of a holy life. Now, some of you might say, that all sounds really nice, Paul, but I can't fly. <laughs> I've tried, and I have fallen many a time. There is a gap between all this wonderful life of Jesus his holiness and his righteousness, and my daily struggle just to, like, not strangle my children. <laughs> and that's true. We feel, I feel that gap. Here's my consolation. Like with the marriage metaphor, the two have become one. This is true. But it's going to be a journey for us to subjectively experience that oneness, that intimacy, and that power. But what does union with Christ give us? It gives us a lens. It changes the paradigm. It, it moves us in the right direction. It helps us frame the issue. It helps us ask the right questions. And it moves us toward the right goal of trusting that we have power and intimacy. It encourages our faith. It keeps telling us, union with Christ keeps telling us, this is what you have. This is the power within you. This is who you are. This is the intimacy Christ 
wants with you, and has with you. It is the lens through which we we understand and more effectively flourish in our spiritual journey. So what do we do with all that? If all of that was like, okay, still, I don't know. What do I, I would like, I would, I would point it down to this. Practice looking at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And there are, we can do a whole series on spiritual disciplines to help us see him more clearly and feel his presence more nearly. But let me close with these thoughts. Just turn your eyes to him for a moment. Look at Jesus. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branch. He says, it's no longer you, me, he says. It's us. You and me, we're one. He says, I overcame Satan in the desert. I have compassion on the multitude. I heal the sick. I welcome the children. I forgive the tax collectors. I wash the disciples' feet. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I didn't build a grand golden resume with all these credentials. I didn't have trophy disciples to brag about, to impress the world. I came to lay my life down, suffer on a cross, so that others might live. And I love my Father. I love my Father. I want to honor my Father. This Jesus is for you. This Jesus is in you. I haven't told you to do anything yet. I haven't said, I didn't give you anything to do. Except, let me say it now. Live like this is true because it is. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is a mystery. I don't understand. How is it that, that we are we are one with Jesus? That you are in me. That I am in you. Lord, I pray that we would see that something has changed. Our, our nature has changed. Help us to see our Help us to see the oneness that we now have, our broadened self-identity. Lord Jesus, help us to help us to recognize that this Jesus is in me, and that I can have this kind of intimacy with you, and I can have this kind of power with you. Lord, give us a new paradigm, a new lens, a new way of seeing so that we would run to you, focus on you, be empowered by you, that we would attempt to live the righteous life. 
that you would have for us to live. Encourage our faith even tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.